Hello and welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this time by Squarespace. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Jason. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, busy as always. We got computer things that are happening uh, soon, but uh, mm-hmm. space things are always happening. Yeah, and we're recording this a day early, so something gargantuan happens Tuesday morning. That's why it's not on the show this week. <laughs> yep. We were we had to record on a Monday. It, yeah, it happens. Recording, recording on a Monday. Sometimes so, we record late, sometimes we record early. Today was yeah. an early, just an early. It was. It's fine. I have a um, an update I want to give as the first item in our pre-flight checklist about Demo 2. Just jumping in. Tell us. Yeah. I mean... You want you want more? You want to tease what's coming up? We could do that. I mean, we have we're going to talk about space and related subjects, pre-flight checklist items, yeah, and, some and then a couple topics, and there's an ad in between them. Yeah. So what's going on with demo two? <laughs> demo two. Uh, well, the big question is when are they coming back? So, uh, as you know, um, Bankin and Hurley are up at the ISS. They were there on their SpaceX ride and they're hanging out because there's only three other people on the ISS and they want some more help. Basically they want some helpers. So it looks like, uh, now they're, uh, solid into August. Um, they've checked the capsule status. The capsule looks good because there was, that was one of the things they wanted to check is like, did it look like there were any issues with it, you know, sitting at the station in the vacuum of space? There weren't with the last one, but they wanted to check that. All looks good. Um, NASA is actually targeting Crew-1, the first official um, operational commercial crew mission, since this is classified as a test mission, for the end of August. I think their their target date is August 30th. So what they need to do is they need Demo-2 to come back by then so that they can it can land you know, it'll splash down. They can check it all out, check the parachutes, the whole thing, and be like, all right, certified, good to go. Um, the plan right now looks like it's going to be spacewalks in late July to do battery replacements on the ISS. Um, both of the Demo-2 astronauts are qualified to help in spacewalks, and so they're going to put them to work on that. Um there is an interesting twist, which is stormy summer weather in the Atlantic is part of the calculation here. Ken Bowersox, who was the, uh, you know, has been a couple of times the acting human space flight person at uh, NASA, said last week that um, if they've wrapped up kind of like their key uh, things that they need to do for the ISS and there's a window in the weather that makes it safe for them to land in the Atlantic, they may order them home right then. So they might say like beyond a certain point, if a bunch of tasks are done and then it looks like their forecasts are saying that this is going to be a good window in between storms and things to get them to splash down at the Atlantic that they will say, okay, why don't we come, you know, come back tomorrow or whatever they, they want to do. Um, but they're, you know, Barisox was like, I think it's all going to work out in August. It's going to be fine. Um, sometime in the month of August, it can be stormy, in August, but there's, there's usually, um, some room, some gaps in there and they just need it to be clear for their landing, not too long before and after that. And they've been, uh, you know, hard at work already. You don't just go to the ISS and float around, (laughs) not doing nothing, right? Like that's, that's not, it's not a vacation. Yeah. Um, although I, I I do wonder if they put in the schedule, like those guys, the intense launch schedule and all that, and they had the scrub and all that. Do they like, let them take it easy? for the first day maybe and just kind of acclimate they probably do they probably there's some degree of acclimation but eventually they gotta 
work. So they were, um, they've been fixing the treadmill at the ISS. Apparently there was something wrong with the treadmill, so they need to fix that. And they've been doing a lot of, um, of moving, which is a job that you wouldn't think astronauts do, but like astronauts are really good at moving stuff. If you need, if you have a friend who's an astronaut, they should help you move. <laughs> because the, there's this uh, Japanese spacecraft HTV-9. It's a cargo ship from JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency. It docked May 25th, and they've been spending a lot of their time literally just pulling cargo out of that and putting stuff. I, I, I was going to call it garbage, but that's not entirely true. Putting stuff that they're sending back down in, doing cargo transfer in and out of the HTV-9. So, you know, I'm sure the other three people on the ISS are happy to have their help for as long as they're available. Yeah. And and like we said last time, the crew on the space station was pretty lean before this. And NASA likes to have multiple astronauts available. So a lot of these tasks aren't possible with... With, with three. Yeah. 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 It's it's having five instead of three is a big difference. Yeah, and absolutely. that's why they're still there. That's why they're still there. But it sounds like sometime in August... They will have completed those like late July spacewalks. They'll basically be done with the big stuff, and at that point, it's going to NASA will shift into um, good weather mode, basically, to find the good weather to bring them home, mm-hmm. and then certify the mission so that they can uh, set about launching Crew One. Want to talk a little bit about the James Webb? Okay. Uh oh. Uh oh. So is this the- what I think it is? It is. It's. It always oh. is. So the the James Webb Space Telescope, just for a little bit of background, is the sort of follow on for the Hubble Space Telescope. It's really unique in the sense of where it's going to be placed. It will not be in low Earth orbit. It's going to be way out past the moon with its back towards the moon and the Earth. This is an uh, infrared telescope, and they want to block out as much as possible from Earth and the moon and the satellites and everything else we have going on. So it's going to go way out there. And that means that it's not repairable. Once it's in place, it has to unfold its big solar sails and it has these big multi-layered thermal protective areas because it basically has a cold side and a hot side is the way it's going to work. And so it's got to like unfold like a flower, right? Very complex space telescope. Mm -hmm. And it was um, supposed to launch about 10 years ago supposed to have a development cost of a billion dollars. They're up to $9.7 billion now. Congress has capped that uh, a couple of times now and then uh, have has added money to it as they go. It was supposed to launch in March 2021. That was the date. Uh, but uh, recently NASA has said that it's going to slip uh, until sometime later in 2021. Now, unlike previous delays, this doesn't seem to be technical in nature. They've had delays because of testing or because of reliability issues. This is because of the pandemic. So NASA, just like most every other uh, organization, has had to deal with the fallout of this. And so they can't be working around the clock like they have been. They're using smaller teams um, with shorter shifts, You know, taking time between teams, doing what they can to... to keep their people safe, which is what they should do. Absolutely. That is the priority here. Uh, but that has come with a uh, a budget or a delay in the timeline. So March 2021, not going to happen, uh, but yeah. it is still expected to launch that year. So we should still th- see this get off the ground next year, but probably late in the year. The year of the James Webb? We're going to call it 2021? <laughs> yeah. Well, commercial crew's going now, so I got to have something else. 
And uh, I feel like this whole podcast could be boiled down to two things, which are acronyms and delays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And related subjects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't blame them for this. Like this is this is not a uh this doesn't strike me as a systemic problem. This is a no. this is a COVID nineteen problem. No. Is, of course, poor James Webb telescope gets hit again. But yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, it's not even the only project that's been delayed a little bit. So the Mars 2020 rover, Perseverance, uh, has also has had a slight delay. Now, we've talked about this. You ha- only have a window every couple of years to launch to Mars. Thankfully, its launch has only slipped three days, and that was actually because of a processing issue with its uh, launch vehicle. And so that's only a couple of days. They have a relatively big window they can launch within. Um, and so they will uh, now launch, uh, hopefully, on July 20th, and uh, and then they'll be uh, on their way. Well, good. Good. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Let's, let's do it. You and me, Stephen. We're going to make it happen. The launch window closes <laughs> August 11th, so they've got some time still. Yeah. Um, so this is, is not a, a critical issue, but I, in reading about the James Webb, I, I saw this headline, too. It was like, oh, I wonder... Uh, and with like the James Webb guys like come over and console the Mars 2020 team after work, like, hey, you know, it's just a small delay. It's fine. Well, they've got that they got that tight window, but it's not that tight, right? I mean, that's the yeah. beauty of it. It's not like the instantaneous launch window and then you have to wait two years. They've got some space. So they can slide it a little bit and it'll be, it's going to be okay. I wanted to dive in a little bit, uh, as little as can be done in a pre-flight checklist item. I, I feel like <laughs> we need to come back to this topic later, but um, I want to talk about uh, commercial lunar payload services. Clips. Which is clips, I guess. Clips. Uh, which, if you don't know, that's basically like commercial cargo or commercial crew, but for putting robots on the moon, basically. It's like a, you're a space taxi to the moon. Uh, the news in the last week is that NASA is going to pay about $200 million to a company called Astrobotic, which is a great name. I love it. Mm-hmm. Astrobotic. Very uh, good. They're based in Pittsburgh. Um, for for really good reasons, Carnegie Mellon. For those who don't know, Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh has one of the world's leading robot research facilities. They are like the robotics champs of the world at CMU. I actually went to high school with a guy who ended up going through that program, and uh, you know what he does for a living now? Designs mm-hmm. robots. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's what they do. Doing so, what he went to school uh, for. That I mean, you're living the dream. So. Um, they're paying $200 million to Astrobotic, which is presumably, I actually don't know this, but presumably there are lots of people from the CMU ro- robot group who are in that group now. Uh, that's why it's in Pittsburgh. And they're going to deliver a rover that they're not making, but they're, gonna, they're getting paid to deliver it to the Lunar South Pole in late 2023. And the, the Lunar rover itself is called Viper. It's designed to look for water. It weighs about 1,000 pounds is supposed to spend 100 days sampling the soil around the lunar south pole. It can even drill up to three feet into the lunar surface. The goal here is to see if there's water ice in the soil or below it, because finding water on the moon is a big deal in terms of propellant and in terms of uh, creating a breathable habitat and in having drinking water. And they're like, all these reasons why that would be amazing if there's water ice. And we think that there is. There's some questions about how much and accessibility and things like that. That's what Viper is supposed to do. But Viper needs a ride. This is something that we talked about when they canceled the Lunar Prospector missions and all of that. This idea that they were shifting to a concept where they were going to pay commercial companies to 
deliver payload to the surface of the moon, and that's CLPS. So starting in 2021, the plan is to have these companies deliver payloads to the lunar surface. Um, Astrobotic already has a deal for putting some instruments that are Viper instruments, actually, on the moon in 2021, uh, basically testing those instruments on the lunar surface. There's a different company, Mast and Space Systems, that's supposed to land another set of instruments in 2022. Astrobotic has another mission in 2022 to land a rover called Moon Ranger. That rover, I believe, is a in partnership with the CMU robotics program to produce Moon Ranger and to land that on the moon. And then now they've got an additional 200 to take Viper to the lunar South Pole. Um and I looked up some stuff about Astrobotic. It was founded 13 years ago. Originally, the goal was to win that Lunar X Prize, which, as you might recall, nobody won. So, yeah. Yep. Yay. Yep. But they had already pivoted, <laughs> apparently, to commercial payloads. So they were like, Lunar X Prize, yeah. Mm. We'll oh, do this commercial instead. moon. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's get yeah. that. And they're getting checks from the government to, to do commercial lunar landing. So Viper's going to be taken to the surface by a lander that they're working on called Griffin. You get the sense that basically it's a thing that can um, navigate its way down and land do a soft landing on the moon while it's carrying a payload. And that payload in this case is uh, Viper. Uh, their mission in 2021 will have a smaller lander that they're calling Peregrine. So they're, you know, this company is designing, they're not going to build the rockets, right? They're going to get a ride on a commercial rocket, but then they're going to get to the moon and their, their vehicle's job is to land and they're carrying someone else's robot and then they drop off the robot and that's it. That's their mission. So it's an interesting multi-stage, multi-piece puzzle to do this commercial landing. And I feel like as I was doing research for this, that I um, really was missing a lot that has been going on with with clips. I know we've mentioned it before, but it seems like it's becoming more real. I mean, it's never real until it actually happens, but it seems like we're getting closer to having this stuff start to happen. And I feel like uh, at some point in a future episode, we'll probably need to detail like everything that's part of this program because there's a lot going on with uh, lunar payload services, and it, and you know nothing has nothing has happened yet. But there's a lot of stuff bubbling under the surface. I think this fits in really nicely with the conversation we've had about commercial cargo and commercial crew that NASA can turn to these these companies or in this uh, case, you know, an institution um, and let them do what they do best and let NASA focus on the the bigger items. You know, I think that's this in particular. And we, we should totally get into clips at some point because it's fascinating. I think it's a really good example of that. And like, why not let some of the people who are building the best robotics on the planet, why not let them be involved with this? Right. So Astrobotic, you know, they've built a business on the idea of building a lunar lander and they don't have to build the rocket and they don't have to build the robot. They just need to build the lander and NASA will pay them. And presumably other countries and other organizations could pay Astrobotic to land their stuff on mm-hmm. the moon, wherever. And that is, I think, what they're you know planning for their business model. So it's cool. I could see this almost becoming something like uh, CubeSats. Like if they can come up with a sort of standardized size and weight that you need to fit within, then dropping robotic missions all over the moon could become relatively routine. That would be really exciting to explore way more of the moon than we ever could with astronauts. Right. All right. We like Titan, right? The Moon Titan. It's pretty cool. It's, uh, it went high in the moon draft, I believe. It did. 
so we have known that time has been drifting away from Saturn. That's actually kind of a common thing. Our own moon is slowly leaving us at a rate of about an inch and a half every year. That's because the tides are like created by uh, the moons orbiting their planets out while we get our tides here on Earth. Uh, eventually, that energy ends up transferring from the planet like back to the moon and ends up kind of yeah. pushing it further away and their orbit is slow down, all that stuff. Uh, so that's been true for Titan for, we've known that's been true for a long time, but there was a school of thought that said, well, because it's it's so far out in the solar system, you know, we don't, like, how would that impact the rate at which it would be scooting away from its planet? And it turns out that it's moving about 100 times faster than previously thought at a rate of about four inches a year. Yeah, I it, it is. I read a headline that was like Titan leaving Saturn by a hundred times faster than previously thought, and I'm like, oh no, Titan, we're gonna lose you. Yeah, and then soon. Uh, the answer is it's four four inches a year. Four inches a year, uh, not a lot, but it adds up. You know, it does. And we talk about that occasionally here that the uh, solar system is dynamic mm-hmm. and like not not everything in the solar system is gonna be where it is now forever. It's gonna keep changing over time, way beyond the span of a human life or even human civilization. But it, like you said, it adds up four inches a year. Uh, you know, you go long enough and, and it's going to be out of there. Uh, this data was put together by many uh, observations from the Cassini mission, which is now, you know, now has been gone for quite a while, but this data continues to hmm. come out. So they had 10 years worth of images from Cassini to be able to track this. So they were able to pair the data from Cassini with other mission other mission data they had from things like telescopes to be able to build this data set showing, oh, this is faster than we thought it was. Again, four inches a year. Not that much, but it's it's drastically faster. Yeah. Yeah. It's ten centimeters for the for the metric people out there. Ten centimeters. Okay. It's not not a lot. No, not a lot. But more than we thought. More than we thought. Um but Titan is really cool, right? It is the second largest moon in the whole solar system. It's bigger than Mercury. Uh, it also is a potential place for life, right? It has a dense atmosphere. It's the only yep. moon with a dense atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Liquid methane, possibly the building blocks for life. And it's got basically th- lakes. It's the only I, what only moon with liquid water or with liquid on the surface. Yes. It's not water. Yep. It's methane seas. But so it gets rain. It has a whole like precipitation cycle. It's just very, very cold. Mm-hmm. Very cold. And it's going to be home of what I think is my current favorite future outer solar system mission, Dragonfly, <laughs> which if you remember is the self-flying like drone hopper thing that is going to study the moon starting in about, uh, it's going to launch in 2026 or so and be there by 2034. So I guess they got to add, you know, 16 inches to their math, make sure they hit the moon right. Yeah, that's right. Be careful. Don't miss uh don't miss Titan yeah. by a few inches. Don't miss Titan. Nope. Uh yeah, so that that's a kind of a wacky outer solar system story. And I like what you said about it being a dynamic place. It's hard for us to imagine that, like on our time scale, but if you zoom all the way out, it's really always changing. Yep, exactly right. Everything everything is changing if you wait long enough. I have a I have a streaming media report for you, Stephen, if you'd like to hear it. Uh, so I watched Space Force on Netflix starring Steve Carell. I watched all 10 episodes. I've seen all of it, but the last two. Oh, okay. So you'll agree with me that um, 
you need to not not pay attention to the science. No. Because it, the science is really, 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 really bad. Very bad. Mm-hmm. It's just very bad. Also, in this, in the world of Space Force, there seems to not be a NASA. Yeah, they don't, well, they're, they're referenced, I think, but we don't, I don't, at least in the first eight, we don't see them. Also, they're launching rockets from Colorado, which you just straight up can't do because uh, there's lots of people, <laughs> lots of people around. You just, well, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. It's, yeah. I, I get the impression that they've got a big exclusion zone or something there, but it isn't really well thought out. It's silly. I actually think the show is funny. Me too. And I know that not everybody, uh, not the reviews were not, were kind of mixed when it came out. I think it's a particular kind of funny that not everybody will appreciate, but like, I thought it was funny. I think there's some situations that are absurd and there's some silly things and there's some really dry lines that make me laugh out loud that i could see how they might fly by you if you weren't paying attention but like i i thought it was all um quite funny i did too i i I love steve carell i thought he was we're getting off track a little bit i thought he was excellent in the morning show Mm -hmm. on apple tv apple tv plus and i I was a little hesitant as a huge office fan in fact i co-host an office rewatch podcast called somehow i manage on your podcast Mm -hmm. network the incomparable yes on the incomparable yes so as a huge office fan i was a little worried that it was going to be a little officey and it's really not it's a very different type of humor a different kind of humor it's a different kind of setting it's you know, it's technically a workplace sitcom, I guess, but it's kind of not. And there's a lot of other stuff going on, but I did enjoy it. Steve Carell, it's funny. If I have a criticism of the show, uh, it's that Steve Carell's performance is uneven. I feel like mm-hmm. there are moments where he's trying to inhabit the body of a, of a you know, a five-star, four-star, whatever he is, general running the Space Force. And he gets in this uh, mode where he's sort of, his voice gets all hoarse and he shouts yeah, the voice stuff is weird. I don't think he pull. I don't think he can pull it off. I think. I think it makes him seem like just like he's yelling. I think it's a. I, I think it's a bad performance when he does that. The weird thing though is that most of the time he doesn't do that. There's a, a few episodes where he does that a lot, and then other episodes where he doesn't do it at all, or at least so much that it bothers me. So I don't know. I, I thought that was a strange. I think maybe he was struggling with how to get across that he's a military guy. Um, but he did a lot of kind of shouting that uh, it didn't work for me, but most of it did. And, uh, I thought it was funny and ridiculous. And John Malkovich is in it and he's the chief scientist and he is great. He's very funny. Um, you gotta, like any sitcom that can have John Malkovich in the cast. That's like, how did that happen? But he's very good. The casting I think is fantastic. It's yeah, it's great. It is it's definitely worth the watch. It's also because it's on Netflix, they're all not 22 minutes long like The Office was. So it can kind of, the episodes can kind of breathe some. And I think mm-hmm. I think it benefits from that. And I'll also say that it, there are 10 episodes and at the end, it just sort of ends. And what happens next, who knows? Like, I guess they'll do more, um, but that's the end of that. So there, there's no like, it doesn't have a resolution kind of ending. It, it just it just ends. So don't don't get your hopes up for those last two episodes, Stephen. <laughs> Things just continue to happen and then there are no more episodes oh, well, left. I think we're actually going to watch them tonight is what we had decided. Right. But yeah, we've enjoyed it. And uh... if you like space, uh, you might like it, but don't you won't like it for the space. <laughs> The effects are actually pretty good, but when you think about it, none of it makes any sense. That's yeah, fine. I had to give, I kind of had to let go of that about 15 minutes in. <laughs> My yeah. wife looked at me, she's like, it's okay to enjoy this. I was like, okay, you're right. You know, it's got to write this the science off, but yes. Do we want to take a break? 
Yeah, let's do it. We'll get into our topics. We got a couple good topics today. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea or project with unique domain name, award-winning templates, and much more. You can create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, host a podcast, image gallery, videos. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of that stuff. And there's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades are needed. You don't have to worry about becoming some sort of server admin to deal with that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. Let's you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I often talk in these ad breaks about different websites I've built for people uh, on Squarespace, but one thing I think that is really cool for us nerds is the ability to do a lot of custom stuff. So you can write custom CSS overrides, you can do JavaScript stuff, they have a whole developer platform you can get into as well. If you want to build something simple out of the box, it's fantastic for that. But if you want to dig deeper, it's fantastic for that too. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name and to show your support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. We thank Squarespace for their support of the show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right. I also have in in Jason learns about things that probably deserve us to cover them in greater depth in the future. The gateway. Yeah. Talk about the gateway a little bit. Yeah. Because like the gateway kind of okay. So they decided that they weren't going to use. Let me back up. The gateway is this idea that they want to do a space station around the moon. Okay, that's the simple version of it. And the idea is you build a space station around the moon. And unlike the ISS, which is telling us about low Earth orbit, the advantage of having a space station around the moon is now you're in cislunar space. You're outside of the Earth's influence. And not only is that interesting in and of itself, but it allows you to build a way station to the lunar surface so that you could have ships going down and back up and park them and then reuse them potentially. And it also means that if you could adjust uh, the orbit of the space station, you could get access to any part of the moon you wanted to land on. Because generally, if you're if you're um, going around the moon, uh, like the Apollo missions, you sort of like have an angle of attack and then that's it's all tied to where you want to land. But if you have a space station, you can actually modify the orbit in order to choose where to land. So it's a fun idea. And they've been talking about it for a while as part of this go back to the moon strategy that NASA has. And then Artemis happened and the goal of landing on the moon by 2024 happened. And at some point, NASA said, we're not going to use the gateway for that. So the attitude uh, of a lot of people was sort of like, oh, the gateway is dead. It's gone. It's a goner. And you and I, I mean, that's not true. You and I actually saw in Houston, we saw a mock-up of gateway, which Mm -hmm. was pretty cool. I I had no idea they even had a gateway mock-up, but they've been working on gateway concepts in the background for quite a while now. Quite, Quite a long time. And there have been some talks about the different elements of different components of it with different companies yeah. building different things and that's kind of what brings us up to today right yeah so the, there are there is some gateway news so orbital science which is a company that's actually owned by grumman which built the lem actually for the apollo missions yeah they just got a nearly 200 million dollar contract uh to design something that's called halo 
the Habitation and Logistics Outpost. Hi, everybody. Halo. Um, I'm in Halo. 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 <laughs> I like it. Uh, so this is the this is the crew compartment for Gateway, or as NASA called it in their press release, the size of a small studio apartment. <laughs> small, your small studio apartment, but <laughs> it's got a great view. It's at the moon. It's at the yeah. moon. So that part is is great. Um, this is this contract is for the design of Halo. They will also be getting a contract, presumably to build it. That's expected by the end of the year. The design they're actually basing it on the cargo Cygnus cargo ship that um, that Grumman designed that is used to deliver cargo to the International Space Station. So they're taking that and then modifying it to become a crew compartment. Um, which is so that's which is super yeah. smart, right? So the Cygnus is already a known entity. It can be launched. Oh, that's well understood. And exactly. you know, NASA did this too with the Saturn project. Skylab was uh, the upper part of a Saturn rocket. So exactly. this is a this is an idea that's that's tested over time. And I think a really smart way going about this. You already have this vehicle. Yes, it's not human rated, but you know that the bones of it are good, and they can go from there making it appropriate for a studio apartment living. That's right. Stylish lunar studio apartment living. It's going to be expensive. You're going to have some rent. Yeah, it's going to, yeah, it's pricey. The rent is just too high. Um, The other portion of Gateway is something called PPE, the power and propulsion element. And I I like to think of this as like the service module of Gateway. Um, Maxar Technologies is designing it. It's uh, so in addition to power, it's got this uh, solar electric propulsion system that's a relatively new technology. It's been uh, experimented you know, on by NASA for a while now. And this is what's going to let Gateway maneuver so that they can reach any part of the lunar surface with uh, landing vehicles. The idea here, again, being pick where you want to go on the moon from Gateway. You'll be able to get there because Gateway can reposition. Um, Solar electric propulsion, by the way, uh, 10 times less propellant than a conventional chemical propulsion system. Um, they, NASA's Glenn Research Center in Cleveland has actually been one of the leaders in solar electric propulsion research. It uses, uh, xenon gas atoms, so noble gas, xenon, and then it electro, or it, uh, uses electromagnets to accelerate individual gas atoms and shoot them out the back. And then it's Newton's laws, right? The idea there is you're using electromagnetism to provide the velocity and shooting it out the back of the spacecraft, uh, or in this case, the space station, and that causes it to move. And so this is great for um, long long duration um, space probes because they can be under uh, thrust for a lot longer. So it, it doesn't provide immediate thrust, but you it just keeps going, which is something the chemical rockets don't do, where they kind of do a lot of thrust for a short period of time. Um, so because it's constant thrust, it can really do the job. Like, like what you were saying about Titan, right? Like mm-hmm. it just keeps adding up, like shooting little xenon atoms out the back of your engine wouldn't seem like it was huge, but if you can do that, that burn, quote unquote burn, for on five engines for you know a few days you will go places right Mm -hmm. like that's that it all does add up yeah so 
Um, so those two things were originally conceived as separate modules, the PPE and Halo, but um, to save money and time and reduce the risk of them like not being able to hook up in lunar orbit, they are going to join them together on Earth and launch them together to the moon as Gateway. Okay. And NASA is currently saying 2023 for that. And, um, you know, I, I like the idea of Gateway. I like the idea. It feels... Artemis, the, the the first Artemis mission that they're talking about for 2024 is very much like direct to the moon and land and yay, we're on the moon and then we leave. And although they play it as being this kind of start of our return to the moon, it would also be, I think, a fair analysis to say it's more like an Apollo mission where the point is to get there and say we got there. Whereas the gateway feels much more to me like part of a sustained effort to stay at the moon because then you've got the gateway which is orbiting you've basically got a new international space station kind of place except it's around the moon and that gives you a lot of access to come and go from the moon and come and go from the earth and that seems like a new kind of phase of lunar exploration that a direct to the moon landing and then coming home doesn't yeah, I totally agreed. And and if they can pull off this this idea that it is the sort of stopping and and changing and coming back from the lunar surface, and it really does open up so more so much more opportunity. I, I too am really excited about this. And that story that had come out earlier that it wasn't on the critical path for Artemis, at least for the first landing. You know, they they could still bypass this if it slips. I think. But you're right. This is a step towards ongoing human presence in cislunar space, something we've yeah. never had. And it means you can send people to the gateway. You can send equipment to the gateway. And then they don't all have to go together. They don't have to go at the same time. And they all just kind of hang out at the at the gateway. And then that you can transfer from like a, a crew vehicle that's going to the gateway to a lander vehicle that's going down to the moon and then back and all that. And that's, uh, that's pretty cool. And solar electric propulsion, again, something that's been talked about for a long time. But like that's part of the whole idea of gateway. And that means that it's going to be able to move around a whole lot more because it's so much more efficient when it comes to propellant. So it can get if you want to go to the South Pole, they'll get in an orbit for that. Uh, if you want to go to the Sea of Tranquility, we'll get you in an orbit for that, like wherever you want to go. All right. Uh, last on our docket for today is NASA's new chief of human spaceflight, which is really exciting. Yeah. We have a, a little history we should get to first. You want to tell us about the, the background of this? This is the third chief of human spaceflight <gasps> NASA's seen in a year. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh Bill Gerstenmeyer was the head of of human spaceflight for a long time, and he was essentially fired from this position um, and then left NASA. Um, yeah, not he was sure there the story a, a behind decade. that. He was there a yeah. decade, right? Uh, he mm-hmm. oversaw the end of the shuttle thing. Yeah, I don't know if we ever got a straight answer, but it seems like maybe there was disagreement between him and top-level people about Artemis. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds sounds like that's probably the case. He now works at SpaceX, by the way. He's yeah. uh, working in engineering on the the crewed vehicles for SpaceX. And the story I read suggested that he's kind of happy to be back with the details and out of the politics, because which yeah. also implies that the politics was the problem when he was fighting all those political battles at NASA. So anyway, they um, they he left. And then they, and then uh, Bauer Sox, who I mentioned earlier, was the temporary replacement. And then they got Doug Lavero, who uh, was uh, was his replacement. Uh, that lasted six months, 
and then he was out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his ousting was really interesting because it happened just a few days before the Demo 2 launch. And so there was a lot of chatter around, is uh, is this an issue with commercial crew? Did he know something? And it's come out since that while overseeing the human landing system contract cycle, he had maybe contacted Boeing during a blackout period during the bidding process, which would be which would be against the rules. NASA's Inspector General will have a full report on this. It's not out yet, but uh, it seems like comments, basic comments he's made and other people that this was a, he broke the rules for his position and uh, got shown the door. Yeah, and he made a, an oblique statement about how he was taking a chance on something because he felt it was important, and I'm unclear about that. I'll remind you, by the way, that in terms of the lunar landing, Boeing ended up not being on the list, and I don't yeah. know if that's related to this or not. But Boeing did not get any funding for that. Um, instead, it went to SpaceX and Blue Origin and I forget who that. Oh, that consortium of a bunch of different companies. So um, anyway, so then they had to find a new Power Sox came back temporary again. And mm-hmm. now we have a new NASA chief of human spaceflight. Yeah. So the new chief of human spaceflight and NASA is Kathy Leaders. She has an incredible NASA career, 28 years she started at White Sands working on propulsion systems for the shuttle, for the orbiter itself, went on to work on the International Space Station, uh, ended up serving as the transportation integration manager. So this job is really interesting, kind of covers two things, covering commercial cargo resupply missions, which you know SpaceX and others, and that is fed into commercial crew but also managing the international cargo traffic to and from the space station. So working with European Space Agency, J- Japan, all these different international partners that are taking things to the space station and bringing them back. This this was her overview for a really long time. And as commercial resupply kind of turned into commercial crew, a lot of people went over to commercial crew, including her where she got a lot of FaceTime with SpaceX and Boeing, who are, of course, the commercial crew companies. So I think this is a really natural path to become chief of human spaceflight. And from what I've read, a lot of people are are really happy with this choice. Yeah, people, uh, there was that Elon Musk tweet, right, which was like, I love Kathy Leaders, basically. So, um, you know, and he's involved in human spaceflight now, too. So, yeah, people seem to like her. Yeah. It's never a good sign when you keep kind of having the revolving drawer of mm-hmm. uh, people, but hopefully this one sticks. I think it. I think. Uh, I think it will. I mean, breaking the rules of the bidding contract business, like yeah, that's a fireable offense if you're the <laughs> the chief of human spaceflight. And you know, we'll learn more about that. I think as time goes on, exactly what happened there. But I think with her longtime career at NASA working on the shuttle, so working on crewed vehicles before, she brings a lot of institutional knowledge and history, and then combining that, morphing that into commercial flights, cargo and crew, I think is is really impressive. And so I'm excited to see where she where she goes with this. You know, her mandate is Artemis, right? It's to get humans on the moon by 2024, but it also oversees commercial crew. So she, she'll have a lot of stuff on her plate, but I think she's the right person for the job. Yeah, well, we wish her luck. Yes. There's a lot of going on with human spaceflight right now. It's a lot busier job than it was four years ago. <laughs> so uh, I think uh, I think that's it, Jason. 
Yeah, I think so. A lot, lot going on mm-hmm. in space, as always. Uh, good to talk about it all. I'm going to put uh, clips on the uh, to-do list. We should talk about that some more sometime, about landing stuff, landing robots on the moon. But uh, but yeah, good uh, good fortnight, I think. So if you want to find links to everything we spoke about, head on over to relay.fm slash liftoff slash 126. While you're there, there are a couple of things you can do. You can send us an email with feedback or follow-up, or you can become a member to support Liftoff directly, which we would appreciate. You can find us on Twitter. Jason is there as Snell, and you can find me on Twitter as ISMH. Until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Love you. Bye. New ending. Mike freaked out about it.